We're in the, <clears throat> continuing in the book of Hebrews, and I love being in the book of Hebrews, learning so much. I love being in this book with all of you in this series with all of you. I love it even more so because in our small group, we're doing this reading plan for the year. And during our reading plan for the year, we're about in Deuteronomy right now, middle of Deuteronomy, and we're seeing so many connections, so many parallels with the book of Hebrews and in the Old Testament. So like this past Thursday night, we're in our living room in our small group, and my wife was like, oh, that's like how they talked about this, and the priest, and the Leviticus, and all this kind of stuff. And we were all like, whoa, and became hardcore Bible nerds in that moment. And we were so excited about seeing all the connections. And we were like, this is so cool, yet so nerdy, and I love it. And it's a beautiful, this grand story that God has created. And we see in the book of Hebrews, like this kind of expounding upon this for the Hebrew, uh, the, the audience, the, the audience of this book of Hebrews. We see that he starts off by stating, Jesus is greater. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the angels. He's better than all of the Old Testament figures. Jesus is bigger. He's greater. But here's the crazy thing that he came down and he's a, a, a brother that we know, a champion that we know, a priest that we know. He is the ultimate high priest who gave the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice of himself so that our day of atonement was once and done. There's no more need for a yearly Yom Kippur. There's no more need for the high priest to cleanse himself and then sacrifice on our behalf because this Jesus did that. And we learned last week that because he is an order of Melchizedek, that he is the greater priest. He's the ultimate priest. He's the king priest forever. Um, I heard JD, uh, I don't know if I read this, or no, somebody told me this, I think Trace told me this, that JD Greer had a joke about Melchizedek as, as being uh, the litmus test of a Christian. You know, if you've heard of Melchizedek, that means you're kind of like a cool Christian. You, you know what's up. You're a legit Bible nerd Christian. I kind of have to agree with that. I feel like if you know Melchi, you're okay with me. Today we're diving into Hebrews 5 and 6 and looking at the issues that the recipient of this book was going through. Since the day Josiah was born, Josiah is my son, he's four. And since the day he was born, I would take him into the pediatrician's office. We have, I love our pediatrician, May Sloak, a little shout out for her. But um, we'd take him into her pediatrician's office and we'd go in for what we call well visits. Kind of a foreign topic for me because I don't think I ever went to the doctor ever my whole life unless I was actually sick. But Josiah would go in all the time. I feel like when he was first born, we went so often. And I don't know what it is, I bet you guys probably know, but like when he was first born, we'd go in like, a week later, then a month later, or something like that. When we got to the point where we were only going once a year, I was like, whoa, does he not need to see the doctor? What is going on? I feel like he needs to see the doctor like every month now, right? But my favorite thing about going in there is when they would weigh him and measure his height. I've loved seeing where he was on the percentages. Because I don't know what was wrong with me. I was like, man, come on, high 90s, let's go. <laughs> give me that weight, give me that height, give me that head size. I want that high 90s every time. And he was up there. He was weight, head, and head size, and height was up in the high 90s. One day when he dropped into the 80s, I was like, no, give him more food. But I would love it. I would just love going in there and seeing where he was on the percentages. And they did this very routine, and they always just did it. Every time he walked in, the first thing that he would know, he'd be like, go stand on the scale. Okay, go measure yourself. And he would just, that's just, that's just what happens. It's what they always did. Now, they do this because if he ever stopped gaining weight, if you ever stop getting taller, it would, it would mean something, right? They do this every single time because there's a reason for it. It would probably mean something was very wrong because as a baby, as a toddler, as a child, Josiah is supposed to grow. 
That's his natural state. If he isn't growing, then something is wrong, right? Well, something is wrong with the audience of the book of Hebrews. The author hasn't come right out and said it until now, but he's implied it. There is something wrong. Check out this slide. Uh, the next one. That's a good slide too, though. We don't need that in the background. Let's just go with this just a slide, if you can see it, just a slide. Beautiful. Check out what he says here. In verse 2, one, he says, pay close attention to the message you've heard, lest you drift away. 3-1, he says, consider Jesus. 3-8, he says, don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. 3-12, take care, lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. 4-1, fear, lest you fail to enter God's rest. 4.11, be diligent to enter God's rest, lest you fall by disobedience. And 4.14, hold fast to your confession. In all of these urgent admonitions, you begin to get the impression that this writer is really concerned about the situation in the church. And he hasn't really come out with a diagnosis until this chapter, but he's now telling us what's wrong. If you see at the end of last week's text, when we talked about Melchizedek, it said Christ has been perfected through suffering and that he has been designated as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he takes this kind of breath, you feel like, a little break into 5.11 where uh, Rebecca started reading. And it says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Here's the issue. Here's why we're not, they're not growing. Not growing is the symptom. The disease is dullness of hearing. Do you hear that? See, they notice that this, this author is noticing something. He's noticing the symptom. He's measuring, he's, 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 he's doing the weight charts and the growth charts and head size and all that kind of stuff and the percentages, and he's noticing something. He's noticing they're not growing, and that's a symptom. And he's right now identified the disease, the issue. They're not growing because they have dullness of hearing. That's, what, that's what's behind all these exhortations. Pay close attention, consider, don't harden your heart, fear, be diligent, hold fast. These are all doctor's prescriptions for the disease of dullness of hearing. So the question today is this, do you have this disease? And if so, how can you get well? Right? The question is, do you have dullness of hearing? Are you not growing because of dullness of hearing? And if so, how do you get well? So let's talk, first talk about knowing what, make sure we know what he's talking about. What is the disease of dullness of hearing? We'll let the writer explain his own terms for us. So let's look at these two words here, dullness of hearing. The first word, dullness, or take the first word, dull, or slow, or sluggish. It's used one other time in the book of in the New Testament, namely in Hebrews 6.12. So let's throw up Hebrews 6.11 and 12 on the screen, and you'll see what dullness is and what the opposite of it is. And we desire each one of you to share the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that, you not, you, so that you may not be sluggish. It's the same word there as dull, sluggish, same Greek word used as dull, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The opposite of dullness is earnestness to turn the message of hope into the assurance of hope is what it says here. It's the imitation of people who hear the promises of God then respond with faith and patience. So dull hearing doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your physical ears. Get that. It means there's something wrong with your heart. It's a heart that's not eager and not diligent to embrace the promises and turn them into faith and patience. 
Instead, what happens is the word comes into the ears and it goes down into the heart and it, when that does, it hits something hard there. That's dullness of hearing. Promises come, but there's no passion in them. No cherishing, no treasuring, no faith, no producing of fruit, no inheritance of eternal life. Which is why the author of Hebrews was so passionate in writing this. And it's why I need to preach this sermon. Because it is an absolutely dangerous disease called dullness of hearing. And it's a disease that happens in your heart. Can I tell you this, guys? And this is just another symptom of it. But when the word and the gospel truth stops mattering, there comes a dullness of heart, of hearing. When the gospel message that you've been redeemed, you've been set free, that you can be known, you can be loved, no more masks that you have to wear, no more pretending to be something you're not. You can actually be known for who you are, and, but you're actually still loved, and you've been forgiven and chosen to be loved. When that stops mattering to you, when that doesn't affect you, can I tell you something? There is a disease in your heart there. Do you hear that? Let's look at the word hearing. The other word we can track down is the word hearing. It's used one other time also, just like the word dull. It's a dullness of hearing. It's used one other time in the book of Hebrews. In 4.2, it says this, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So here's the same problem. The word of good news, the word of God's promises, they heard it, but there was no faith. This is dullness of hearing. The word goes into the ear, comes into the heart, meets a dullness, a block, a heart, something there, and it's not producing obedience. You can see this three verses earlier in Hebrews 3, 18 through 19. And to whom did he swear that they should enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. And so we, and so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Notice there's a switch from disobedient to unbelief. John Piper says this means that the root of all disobedience is unbelief, lack of trust in the promises of God. So you can see that what dullness of hearing is and why it's so important. It is the kind of hearing with the ears that are unresponsive in the heart. It doesn't embrace the word of God with faith and therefore it doesn't produce the fruit of patience and obedience. I want you to hear this about dullness of hearing. It's one of those issues, when it comes to faith, and when it comes to responding in faith to something you've heard, it's a difficult concept to understand. Have you guys, who here has ever been in love? Just raise your hand. Right? How did you know? I'm just going to ask that question. How did you know? I'm going to ask it. Go ahead, somebody answer. How did you know when you were in love? You wanted to be with that person. You felt it. You act crazy? How did you know? Anybody else? A feeling you've never had before, okay. All sorts of answers, right? Can I be honest with you guys? I had no idea how to know if I felt in love with my wife before we got married. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I was, we were dating, I was in my late 20s, and at this point, I don't think I've ever loved, I might have said I had crushes on girls, or I might have said I love you to a girl, I've never really felt it before, but, I've never really, I don't think I ever was in love with a girl before then. So here I am in my late 20s, I'm dating my wife, she's not my wife, that, dating this girl who will later become my wife. And I was stuck, kind of in this place where I'm like, do I love her? Right? And I'm stuck in this place, I'm like, I don't know. Because how do I know? I mean, like, I like her, I like being around her, 
she's pretty cool. She's much better, she's way too good for me. And so I think a big part of me falling in love with her is just being like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing with me. So there was a little confusion there too. But honestly, I didn't know what to do with it. So I'm sitting here, and I had this emotion that I wasn't sure it's love, but can I tell you one of the biggest steps for me in falling in love with her, and I'll say this over and I'll say this at every wedding that I ever preach at, is that I started to choose to love her. Can I tell you that? See, I say this all the time at weddings, and I've, you guys have heard me say it before. I hate the term falling in love. Can't stand it. Because it sounds like this. Walking, doing my day. <gasps> I'm in love with you. <laughs> That's what it feels like when you see the term falling in love. It just feels like going about your day and then all of a sudden, oh, you I love. Because if you can fall in love, then you can just fall out of it too, right? I hate that. Or if you can just fall in love with somebody, then who else are you going to just fall in love with the next day? Right? Can't stand the term falling in love. I, I probably use it way too often. I probably use it before, I'm just saying. So don't judge yourself for using that term. All you awesome married, like, engaged couples who are so in love with each other right now, be like, we fell in love. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not mocking you guys on your wedding websites that say all that stuff. But I'm saying this. I love the idea of choosing to love so much more than falling to love, falling in love. Right? And what this is talking about is here's the deal. What this passage is talking about is you're hearing the word, right? And it goes into you, and all of a sudden, the problem that all these people are having, they have a dullness of hearing. They have a heart issue there. And this heart issue is saying, you're not choosing to accept it. You're not choosing to live in it. You're not choosing to believe in it. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is a dullness of hearing. It's choosing to respond in such a way. Let me tell you, when I started saying, okay, you know what? I ain't going to choose to love my wife. Things started changing. I started also feeling more in love as well. See, guys, I don't always think, you know, sometimes you have this flash of like, oh, I'm in love with that person. I think that's more typically more of an initial attraction. I think love is so much richer and deeper. Love is choosing even when you don't feel at the time to love, right? All you married couples, you guys know what I'm talking about. There are times when you're like, yeah, I don't really feel in love with you, <laughs> right? There are times when you're like, I don't really like you right now but you will still choose to love. That's what marriage is. It's a covenant choice, right? And that's what faith is. There are times, guys, can I tell you this? And this is okay. There are times when you can be like, God, are you real? There are times when you can question God, how can you let, how can you let that tragedy happen in Florida? I mean, they're kids, God. How can you let that happen? And that is okay for you to ask those questions because in the heart, you're still saying, that's not dullness of hearing. That's still saying, God, but I still choose to believe you. Because you're my only answer. You're my only way. Dullness of hearing is then saying, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not going to do anything with this. Do you hear me? Dullness of hearing is hearing the good news over and over again, and it doesn't mean anything to you. Dullness of hearing is hearing it and just not choosing anything to do with it. Hebrews 5.11 says this, Concerning him we have much to say, but you have become dull of hearing. If they had more grace to hear, they would receive more that the writer has to give, but they're becoming hard and dull and in danger of throwing away what little they have. So what is the remedy? That's the disease, and what's the remedy? And I'm thinking of the Jason Mraz song right now. I didn't think of it when I was writing it, but now that's the song I'm thinking of. 
I'm just trying to show how relevant I am to the culture. <laughs> so my question remains, what's the remedy? Why are some Christians stuck at the baby stage of development with the disease of dullness of hearing, and what is the cure? Now, once again, I said before, this is not a physical problem. This is a heart, heart issue. Guys, the people with the sharpest of hearings can be the people who are most dull to hear. I truly believe this. Back in the day, I used to think that, that if you preached using a lot of Greek terms, you're preaching spiritual meat, and you're immature, right? You're like, well, in the Greek, this really says this. And if I said that, that means my sermon is pretty deep, and I was mature. You know, or, or if I raised my hand higher than everybody else when I was worshiping, that means I was really getting into it, you know? Or, or if I just, you know, sang louder. I mean, there's always measurements that we have of what it means to be mature, right? What the Bible is talking about, what maturity is, is just taking away the dullness. In other words, it's responding in faith to the gospel message. That is what is maturity. So, how do you become mature? You become more mature with milk. Milk does the soul good. You guys, you guys see how I play that? Milk does the body good. Yeah. I love laughing at my own jokes, so. I mean, this is how you grow. My son used to drink so much milk, and he used to drink fast. You know, milk was one of those things where, like, like uh, his, he'd have his formula or his little bottle, and he would just go to town. And I'd watch him, and I'd watch other babies, they'd drink their milk, and they'd be like, and he'd just slowly go down. He'd just go, and I'm like, yes, I'm so proud of him. <laughs> I loved it. And it broke my heart, because one day, just out of nowhere, cold turkey, he was like, no milk. And I was like, what? And he's like, no milk. And it broke my heart, because I was like, he's getting so big, drink more milk. I was so scared. But milk does a body good. Milk does a soul good. That's what Josiah drank to get big, and that's what we all need. The problem with Christians is not that milk is weak or that babies can't eat steak. The problem is that babies are not exercising with the milk that they have. Here's the problem. We do not exercise with the milk that we've been given. We're not drinking enough milk. Do you hear that? Because that's what makes our body big. That's what matures our spirit and our soul. Let's go to verse 14 here. I can't read it. Okay. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to dis distinguish good from evil. You become mature, it says here, by practice, trained by constant practice, or exercise the habitual responses to milk. The problem is, is that milk of the word is not producing muscle of faith. And the muscle of faith is not producing acts of righteousness. This is how you grow from a baby Christian to a mature Christian from the milk of the word that you're drinking in and that you're practicing. Do you hear that? So this is amazing. I don't want you to miss this, okay? Well, verse 14 is saying that if you want to become mature and understand the more solid teachings of the word, then the rich, nutritional, precious milk of God's gospel promises must transform your whole spiritual mind so that you can discern between good and evil. In other words, getting ready to feast on all of God's words is not first an intellectual challenge. It is first a moral challenge. If you want to eat the solid food of the word, you must exercise your spiritual senses so as to develop a mind that discerns between good and evil. Can I tell you guys this? That for you to be mature as a Christian doesn't mean you need to have a PhD, right? It doesn't mean you need to have an IQ of 200. It means you need to fall deeper into the spiritual milk 
the truth, the foundational truths of the gospel. And as that, that produces faith in you, as you practice that, as those things produce in you, then you see and discern a spirit that's able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And that is how you grow. The way you drink milk. Well, this means that if you want to grow up and feast on the fullness of God's revelation, you don't do it by jumping from milk to meat. You do it by the way you drink your milk. Milk has to make you a certain kind of discerning person before you, you eat meat. If I gave Josiah a steak at six months, which I tried, it didn't work. But if I gave him steak at six months, he's going to look at it and be like, what do you want me to do with this, Dad? I have like a tooth. You know? He can't eat, the, he can't eat steak. He needs more milk. God, can I tell you guys this? We all need to just drink and grow and feast on the spiritual milk of the gospel. When was the last time you were just floored? Just floored by the truth of the gospel? When was the last time when you just stopped and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, you chose me? I mean, I'm pretty messed up. And I'm messed up even just when I show people, let alone what's going on inside my head. Yet you're calling me clean? and righteous. Not only, not only am I forgiven, but not actually like you say that I carry the actual righteousness of Jesus. So when you look at me, it's not even like my clean record. You're actually seeing Jesus' excellent record. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. But when was the last time you were floored by that? When was the last time that you were floored by this real and true understanding that you don't have to wear masks anymore? You don't have to pretend to be good enough anymore. That you don't have to pretend to be smart enough or wear the right clothes to fit in with the right people, to have enough power, to do enough good works. That your identity before a living God and in the world around us is not dependent upon your issues and your sins and your mess-ups and your accomplishments anymore. But it's dependent upon the fact that God loves you so radically. When was the last time that's floored you? And if you don't know that today, can I tell you this? Can I tell you something that's so true for so many of us that have already found this, that there is a God out there who knows you, who knit you, who formed you. And as you're searching, there's that, that searching and that longing that you have in your heart is because you were made for relationship with this God. He gave you, the Bible says you were made in his image. And that desire to be known that you have a desire to be free, desire to be known and accepted and loved, that comes because you're, you're made to be in relationship with this God. And Jesus did everything necessary for you to know him and to be known by him. And all you have to do, all you need to do is accept the free gift that Jesus gives you. So if you don't know him, can I say this to you right now? It changes everything. It does. And I'm sorry for how many of us who are not floored by that anymore. We should be showing you guys that every day with our lives. Am I right, people? The key to maturity, the remedy for dullness of hearing, is not jumping from milk to meat. It's drinking milk. So first, you drink in the milk. 
That as you listen to the milk, you, you, you drink it up, you read it, you, you embrace the messages of God's promises in the gospel, you read them yourself from the Bible, you sit under the teaching of the word, you, you teach the word, you give heed to the word, you, you earnestly pray over the word, you, you bring it forth in your conversations with people, you just have the word available. It's like for my son, I would never, I would make sure no matter what, there was always milk available, mainly because I would always not want him to cry. But I always wanted milk there. You had to have it available. Always available. Is the milk of the word available to you? Are you speaking it to each other? Are you speaking it over yourself? Are you reminding yourself of the truth of the gospel? Are you drinking the word? Can I say this? And this is just true. I know for me, um, I'm not a disciplined kind of guy. I'll admit that. You guys probably already know this. I'm not. I'm one of those guys that like, oh, who needs a schedule? We can just kind of show up and everything can happen organically. And I'm one of those guys that like, I've been meaning to work out, but that's just kind of hard. <laughs> you need to be even disciplined. The Bible says about practice and training. Guys, I know it's a weird concept that some of you guys are like, well, aren't you supposed to just like to do it so you don't have to train yourself? And I'm like, yeah, but it's also like loving your family, right? Like loving your children. Should you just love your kids? Yes, you should just love your kids, but sometimes you gotta make yourself take them out to the playground, right? Sometimes you gotta make yourself do things that they wanna do that you don't wanna do. Because you love them. You need to be diving into the word. Diving into it, reading it, hearing it. And you're like, well, I'm such a slow reader. I don't care, put on audio. Put it on your car, listen to the audio version. My wife talks about that. She has a long ride in the morning to work. And so she listens to the audio version of the Bible, and she always makes fun of the voice actors, because they'll be like, certain voices, it's like in a British accent, the narration, then they'll be like, but then the evil demon, and she's like, what was that? Who cares? Listen to the word. Just soak it in. Speak the word to each other. Two, savor and be satisfied. I mean, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you hear it, soak it in. When you hear the word, let it floor you. Savor it, meditate on it. Let it, don't just read it and be like, oh, okay, I read the word, check, two chapters done, I'm good to go, right? But savor it. You know, when you eat a meal, this is the way I do at least, I, when I eat a good meal, right? I'm not just going to like, oh, okay, done. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good, <laughs> right? When you have that one bite of like, whether it's like steak or cheesecake or whatever it may be, you're just kind of like, like, not only do I eat it, and not only am I like, telling everybody, I'm like, oh, Gina, Gina, you know, like, taste this, savor it. When you read the word, as you're diving into it, don't just, just, okay, okay, I got it done. Savor the word. Let it, let it just be like, mm, this is so good, right? It's so good. I mean, we do that stuff about movies. We do that stuff about food. You know how many, by the way, just, this is crazy, I didn't realize this. There's a food blogger called Raleigh Food Picks, right? has 48,000 followers. Raleigh, all they do is take pictures of food. 48,000 followers. They posted one picture about Sushioki one night and they had 900 likes and 160 comments in one hour. People post and talk about food all the time. Are we talking about the word like that? Oh, is that convicting some of you? Right, it is to me. Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'll tell Gina, I'll tell everybody about that meal that I had last night for like the next two weeks. I'm not talking about that Bible time, that quiet study time I had, right? Savor it, it's so good, guys. It is nourishment, it is pure milk. Savor it. And then three, because of that, 
discern what is good and evil. The heart satisfied with God discern good and evil. There are hundreds of decisions that you make day in and day out, which are not spelled out explicitly in the Bible, right? How do you discipline your children? Political positions to take, investment strategies, job decisions, insurance, retirement, business tactics, where to live, what to drive, where to volunteer, how much to give. All these are decisions that you're not making. That's not like in the Bible doesn't say, well then, on this day, Lawrence, you should do this. It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But the Bible wants you, the God wants you to discern what is good and evil as you savor and drink and mature in his word. This discernment comes from habitually practicing and nourishing your spiritual mind through the milk of the gospel. John Piper says, this is the remedy for dullness of hearing. Drink with delight until the desires of your heart are so transformed as to become the discernment of good and evil. Then you'll be mature and ready for meat. I'll say that again. John Piper says this is the remedy for dullness of hearing. Drink with delight until the desires of your heart are so transformed as to become the discernment of good and evil. Then you'll be mature and ready for meat. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you wrote and identified the problem that the Hebrew audience was having. And their dullness of hearing. And that is the issue that we're having. Our dullness of hearing is prevent, preventing the gospel and the good news to rock our world and to change our hearts and renew our spirit. So we ask, Lord, to give us faith. Faith that to choose to believe in the gospel. Faith to choose to believe that we can be known and we can be loved, we, call, we can have purpose. Faith to choose to believe and to walk and to drink in this pure milk. Let it transform us. May we savor it, may we drink it, and may it help us discern between good and evil. May it shape us and change us and make us mature so we can make disciples of you and advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.